0: If you have a Bible with you, uh, it would be helpful to have it open at 1 Peter chapter 5, but if you don't, that isn't a problem. Uh, but I must admit, I feel uh, slightly uh, awkward uh, addressing these verses this morning because, uh, first and foremost, they're addressed to church leaders, to preachers, to pastors. And you might think, well, where am I? Busy telling you all this when it's me who should be listening to these verses. Uh, but nevertheless, although they are addressed to church elders, church leaders, church pastors, nevertheless the passage applies to more than just those who are currently church leaders. Uh, first of all, uh, people listening here this morning uh, might become church leaders at some point, watching online or here in the building. And so it's important that those who will become church leaders one day take note of these verses where Peter tells us what a church leader should be. Uh, Even if you don't ever become a church leader, these verses are still Important because they teach us what to look for in a church leader. If you're going to sit and listen to someone and to follow someone or to be part of a church led by people, you need to know what sort of person that should be. So, again, these verses are applicable to all of us. And lastly, there are principles here which apply to all of us, whether we are a leader or a follower. Uh, there are principles which Peter teaches here, which are universal, uh, about what it means to have a good character, to be a ultimately good person. And so again, there are lessons to be learned there as well. And we'll see that particularly in the third point this morning. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, Peter, in these verses, uh, tells us three things that a church leader should be. And he doesn't focus mainly uh, on what a church leader, church elder, church pastor, what they should do. He focuses attention on what their motivations should be. Uh, What they do is important, but he focuses on the heart. He looks at what is their heart attitude. And as he talks to elders here, he says you should have a certain sort of heart if you are to lead well. And you can read it particularly in verse 2 and verse 3. Peter says to elders, to pastors shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly not for dishonest gain but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock do you notice he says three things there he says three things that you should not be And then gives the opposite thing that they should be. First thing he says is serve willingly. Sorry, serve not by compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, he says not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And lastly, he says not as being lords over people, but instead being examples to (laughs) The flock. What I'd like to do this morning is just look at those three in turn and see what we can learn for ourselves. So let's just take the first one, where Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, not by compulsion, but willingly. Peter says that those leading pastoring should do it willingly not because they're compelled to do it, not because they have a compulsion from outside to do it. And I must admit, I struggled with understanding this one initially Uh, because Peter seems to be saying that pastors and anyone, really, who is seeking to serve God, uh, they should do so, not because they're forced to, but because... They want to. Uh, But I struggle with this because there are certainly times when I don't want to stand here and preach. Uh, There are certain times when I don't want to do the things I know that I should do, the things that I must do. Uh, I'm sure all of us can think of examples in the course of our job or in our family life Where we're forced to do things which must be done, but we don't really want to do them. So what's Peter saying here? Is Peter saying that if you don't want to do something, you shouldn't do it? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's what Peter means. And the main reason for that is because of the subject of this evening's sermon. We're going to look at Gethsemane. And how Christ went to the cross. But even Christ himself, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he saw the horror of what he was about to go through, he prayed to his father and he said, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Even Christ himself in some sense did not want to go to the cross he did not want to do what he knew he had to do so if christ himself did something which in some sense he was not willing to do then surely there's something else that peter is telling us here Uh, peter surely is not saying if we don't want to do something we shouldn't Do it. And I don't believe that is what Peter is saying. Uh, Instead, I believe uh, what Peter is teaching us is that there is a danger in simply doing things, even serving others, merely because. Other people want you to or because there is some other burden outside yourself making you do it. Uh, Again, I'm sure we all uh, know of examples in our own life where we don't really want to do a task, but someone is forcing us to do it. Perhaps we want to please someone else uh, or perhaps we're afraid of someone else's response if we don't do it. And Peter is saying that's not a healthy way of working in the long term. I think of an athlete who has no desire to win a gold medal, but perhaps they have someone in their life who is pushing them because they want them to win a gold medal. And that person has to battle through all the struggle and the discipline of training for that gold medal, but their heart isn't in it. They're only doing it because they're compelled by someone else forcing them to do it. And what Peter is saying in these verses is that is not a healthy reason to serve God. There has to be an inward desire somewhere. It doesn't mean that we always want to do what we need to do. It does mean there has to be a heart. And in particular with pastors and church leaders uh, here, he says you have to have a genuine love and desire to serve God and serve others. If that's not there, then you'll run out of steam in the end. If that's not there, your ministry will not be fruitful. If that's not there, you will simply fall by the wayside in the end. It's simply not sustainable. The pressure from outside isn't enough to create a fruitful ministry. There has to be an inner motivation which ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit himself. That has to be there. That's what Peter means by willingly, by eagerly. There has to be That desire. And of course, going back to Christ, we see that was the case. Although, when faced with the cross and with the horror of it, he said, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. We're also told in the book of Hebrews that it was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. So, although on one level his body, Uh, sort of uh, shrunk back from the thing he had to do and we all know that feeling of not wanting to do some difficult task nevertheless there was a deeper desire underneath and he saw the joy that was set before him again think of that athlete and they have to wake up I don't know four in the morning or five in the morning and they've got to go for a run or they've got to go for training and I'm sure I and mean, if they're anything like me, they would not want to do that very often. Uh, to drag themselves out of bed and go out of bed and do that exercise, and they may not want it in the moment. But the best athletes have in mind the rewards. They have in mind the glory. They have in mind that gold medal. And so, though it might be painful and difficult in the moment, and though they may not want that pain. Nevertheless, there's a deeper desire underneath. And that is what Peter is saying here. Pastors, if they want to stay the course, if church leaders want to serve well, they have to have an inner desire which God has given to them. It's not enough to do it because other people want you to do it. That's the first requirement. That's the first motivation a pastors should have they should have an inner god-given desire so that they can serve willingly not by compulsion but let's move on uh, because peter doesn't stop there he says that leaders should shepherd the flock of god which is among you not by compulsion but willingly not for dishonest gain but eagerly Uh, he says Those who serve by leading shouldn't do it for the material gain they get out of it. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of a story I heard of a father who uh, every evening would go into his study where his great family Bible was. And his family knew at a certain time every evening he would thumb his way through the Bible. And they presumed that he was faithfully and diligently studying God's word and praying. And he was much admired by, for his faithfulness, for doing that every day without fail. But then the day came where he died and his family had to clear out. His study, and they took his well worn Bible, which they had thought he had been diligently studying for so many years. But when they opened it, they found within the leaves of the pages his savings. And every evening, he hadn't been reading his Bible, he'd simply been counting his money to make sure that it was all there. He wasn't motivated by a desire to learn more about God, a desire to serve him and serve others. He was motivated by his love of money. And that's a good metaphor uh, for what many ministers are like, um, very sadly. Uh, They serve not because they want to help others and serve God primarily, but they want what they can gain out of it. And for some, they consider it's fairly easy life. Just give one or two sermons in the week, uh, take a paycheck, get fairly good holidays, and it seems an easy, cushy life. And people think, well, that sounds a good way to make money. And although we might shrink with horror from that thought, there are many like that. Perhaps some of us have met them. Uh, people who are in ministry because of what they can gain from it. The perks, the blessings. But there was one apostle of Christ who was like that. Uh, there was one of the apostles who was the treasurer in the group of the apostles. But we're told he had that role because he pilfered from the back and his name was Judas. That's the warning Peter gives here. He says that church leaders, pastors, those who are paid for their work to lead, to oversee a church, they mustn't do it for the material gain they get out of it. Instead, he says, they must do it eagerly. And again, the point where he's saying here is because I've, again, I've known people who have been very eager to work for the money. But that's not what Peter's saying here. He says, our eagerness, a church leader's eagerness should not come from what they gain materially. Their eagerness should come from the opportunity to serve God and to help others. That's where their eagerness should spring from, very much like the first point. It can't come from outside for what they gain. It must come from within a desire to serve God and out of a love for him. As I said at the beginning, uh, this principle doesn't just apply to church leaders. It applies to all of us to some extent. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Uh, Do you spend uh, more time thinking about how to get money or about how to do a good job? Whatever your job is, if you are in employment. Uh, Do you spend more time thinking about how can I get the most money, perhaps by doing the least, or do you think how can I do this job To the best of my ability, regardless of the money I get for it. Do you see how our focus can so easily turn to wealth and possessions and what we gain when our focus should be on being the best of whatever we are? Whether that's a plumber or a teacher or an electrician or an engineer, whatever it is, don't let money... Be the driving force of everything you do. Money's important. We need money. We have to live in this world. That's a given. But there's something more important than money. That we be an exemplary and excellent worker. Someone who does not need to be ashamed. Who is good at what we do. And that's what Peter says our focus should be on. Not the material benefits, but on being an exemplary worker for God. Because we serve him ultimately and not our employer or our boss. That's the difference between serving eagerly and serving for money alone. That's the second thing Peter says a church leader in particular should have an eagerness to serve, not merely a desire for material gain. That leads to the third and last motivation that Peter says here. And I'm sure there's others which Peter doesn't address, but this is the last one he speaks of. Uh, First, he says that a church leader should serve not by compulsion, but willingly, Secondly, he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. But lastly, he says, verse three, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, Lastly here, Peter turns to a third bad motivation for serving God, uh, particularly for church leaders. And this is the desire for power. We know this is a big desire, don't we? Uh, So many people in positions of authority, not just in churches, but in any walk of life, people can desire positions of authority to be looked at, to be listened to, simply because they have a lust for power. They like to tell other people what to do. They like to, as Peter puts it, lord over other people. They love the ego boost that it gives them. Now, the Apostle John, in his uh, third letter towards the end of the New Testament, uh, he speaks of a man called Diotrephes. And he says Diotrephes loved to have the preeminence, (laughs) he loved to be number one, he loved to be seen as the pastor. He loved to be seen as someone to look up to. He loved that feeling that came from position of authority. And again, that feeling, that desire is alive and well today. Uh, I trust we've all met people like that who want to serve. They want to stand in a pulpit. They want to be Uh, have their name at the top of a sheet or wherever because they want to be hurt. They want to exercise authority over other people because they love power. But Peter says that's not why anyone should lead. That's a terrible motivation to have. Instead... Look what he says. He says, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter says, being a leader is not about exercising authority over people and lording it over them, telling you, you go here, you do this, or you sit in a comfy armchair. What Peter says is being a leader is about being with people and being an example, showing them the way they should go as well. Um, One famous leader once put it this way. He said, a famous general, he said, the most important thing I learned while he was in the army is that soldiers watch what their leaders do. You can give them classes. And you can lecture them forever, but it is your personal example they will follow. Like why someone else said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. You can pontificate and talk at people all you like, but if your life doesn't tally up with what you say, nobody will listen to your words. They will just be words to the air Peter says no leaders must be examples to the flock Uh, being a leader is not about directing other people where to go it's about going there yourself because ultimately uh, a leader a church leader anyway isn't ultimately a leader first and foremost they are a servant themselves did you notice how peter ended this section he said don't be lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears uh, pastors are just under shepherds they have a shepherd of their own and it's the same shepherd of all of us if we are a believer Every church leader must themselves be a follower of Christ. And if they forget that, they will abuse the authority that they have been given. Every church leader must remember that they too are a servant of Christ. And what did Christ himself say? Christ himself said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And that's the example a church leader must show as well. They must pour out their life for others and serve rather than be served. Again, Jesus very clearly taught that if anyone wants to be Lord of all, they must first be servant of all. And that principle applies across all areas of life. If you want to be great, you need to be willing to become small. Remember, I read this quote which appealed to me. Uh, Someone once said, a good leader is a person who takes a little more than his share of the blame and a little less than his share of the credit. quite like that. A good leader is someone who takes a little more than their share of the blame and a little less than their share of the credit again someone else said a leader is best when people barely know they exist when their work is done their aim is fulfilled they will say we did it ourselves the people will think they did it themselves they won't realize that they were led well a good leader stands in the background and pushes others on that's the example That Peter encourages. Just in closing, it reminds me, I've been listening to a biography of Martin Luther. And he used to write many pamphlets. And in one of the pamphlets, I'm not sure if he drew it, but or someone else, but uh, someone drew a picture to express what was in the pamphlet. And as you'll know, Martin Luther was very critical uh, of the Pope of his day, uh, particularly because the Pope didn't seem to follow the example that Christ himself laid down and in this little pamphlet it had a picture and on one side it had the Pope on a fine warhorse, dressed in fine clothing then opposite him there was Christ sitting on a donkey carrying a cross. That's the stark difference and Sadly, so many leaders want to be dressed in fine clothes on a war horse with all the glory and all the splendor. But that wasn't Jesus. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He went carrying his cross. He gave his life for others. And that picture is just very helpful to see the difference between a good leader and a bad one. And that really sums up Peter's teaching. Don't seek what you can gain. Seek what you can give for others. Particularly he talks to leaders, but that principle applies across the board. And our motivation ultimately comes from Christ. Because before we can ever serve God, before we can ever serve others... We need to understand that Christ has first served us. He came to this world to give his life a ransom for many. The only reason we can do anything is because Christ has first loved us. And when we understand that, when we see that everything we have is a pure gift of God's grace through Christ, then it's relatively easy to serve others and love others out of the overflow of the love that we have for God and that he has shown for us. And that's why I've chosen uh, as our final uh, hymn, a hymn which expresses that. It's number 656. And we've just read about the great shepherd of the sheep, Christ himself, who gives his life for his sheep. And that is the theme of our last hymn, number six hundred. And 56, the king of love my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. So we'll close by singing number 656.